Hello everybody. Before we kick off this episode, just wanted to quickly thank the two patrons who are supporting us on our highest tier, Rainbow Parent, Jennifer and Toby. You continue to be rather awesome. I also wanted to give a little bit of a content warning for today's episode. We touch on, uh, amongst other things, grooming, paedophilia, sexual assault and fetishized cannibalism. Uh, so some of our conversations get pretty uh, heavy. If that ain't your thing, feel free to skip this one and come back for the next episode in a couple of weeks. Okay, for the rest of you, enjoy. Welcome to the Queer Movie Podcast, celebrating the best and worst in LGBTQ plus cinema. <laughs> One glorious genre at a time. I feel like your tone was quite pointed there, Rowan. Listen, not to spoil what I thought about this movie, but I'm Rowan Ellis. And I'm Jazza John. And each episode we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema. This episode's genre is... Queer. Queer. Today. That was queer auteur for those who needed the uh, translation. Which is French for author. You're welcome. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about one of the most renowned and somewhat infamous, we'll talk about it, queer movies of the past 10 years. Call me by your name. But before we fuck a peach, I guess, Jazza, what's the gayest thing that you've done since the last episode? Um, So the gayest thing I've done is, um, for once, has nothing to do with my sex life. (gasps) I know. Um, I have been playing the role for the past three weeks of the model queer family member who has just been sitting in the middle of all of the arguments and telling everybody to be emotionally intelligent and love each other again. It is a stereotype that the queers step into, I guess. You're the supporting role, the supporting character in the movie of... Of straight, of straight relatives. Yes, yes exactly. Amazing. And uh, that was just very much my life for the past three weeks. I love my family. I love them sincerely. Yeah, keep, keep, yeah go. What's that? You keep saying, keep saying it and we'll all believe no, it. No, I'm just letting the ellipses <laughs> hang. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Filling how about how about you, Um. So I went on a little writing retreat and I wrote for like a week with some friends and I wrote so much of my gay little little book that I'm writing it was very fun and very gay I haven't actually read over any of the stuff I've written yet so it might be bad but uh I'm gonna pretend like it's fine mm-hmm. I'm sure some of it is um and I'll tell you in a loving way though yeah I, I there's a reason why I haven't sent it to you yet um <laughs> <laughs> also I also it's like a um a sci-fi <laughs> so I feel like maybe I'll end up calling a character Jazza just for like the fun vibes the sci-fi vibes rowan do you not know this i every one of our friends that has written a fiction book i have done my utmost to make them name a character after me mm-hmm. so if if our straight friends aren't going to name their children after me then all of our queer friends are going to name one of the characters in their inevitable books after me that's how i'm gonna become immortal yeah and what i might do is you know maybe try and disguise it by just changing like one letter or something so maybe the character will just be called jizzy um i knew i knew you were gonna go the jizzy route <laughs> so, so rude so cliche oh my gosh but yeah um, I'll, I'll definitely make it a extremely cool cool character and not some like lame old man (laughs) great love that for us for me 
As I mentioned before the break, this film, though celebrated, has seen its fair share of controversies since its release. We are going to do our best before we dive into the plot to touch on them uh, and provide provide some well-needed context, I think. Uh, we will then be reviewing the plot, as always, splitting the film into three acts. Of course, we always do. If somehow you've managed to not see this movie since it came out... Um, you know, go and watch it before listening to the rest of the episode. Unless, like me, you had zero plans of watching it until your podcast co-host, like, <laughs> physically wrestled you into it. In which case, just what? Just listen to this episode instead. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it was. It was. It was just about time. You know, mm-hmm. the first one back in the new year. I felt like it was a good time. In for with us a bang, to... I guess. <laughs> exactly. So, without further ado, let's maybe. Oh. Read a book a bit, then listen to some Bach, then fall asleep by the pond, and oh then maybe contemplate my ennui before having sex with my childhood friend on a dusty mattress, and review Call Me By Your Name. Wow. Okay, so the first bit of context that we I want to talk about is a context that's of something that's within the movie itself, which is the age gap, I'd say in inverted commas, romance so this is kind of part of the controversy around the movie i will confess that i have basically the reason why i hadn't seen the film was because just the very concept of this really icked me out and so i was like i don't particularly want to watch this happening on screen and so i also haven't looked at a lot of like the discourse commentary and stuff on it so this is what i'm about to say is some information from the film and then my thoughts about it so the information from the film is one of the characters elio uh, played by Timothy Chalamet, 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 is 17. And the other character, Oliver, played by Army Hammer, is 24. When they were playing those roles, Army Hammer was a lot older than 24. He was in his 30s. But similarly, Timmy was 20 slash 21, depending on reports, the, the age that he was when he filmed this varies. But he he was, wasn't a teenager. However, it is also, I think, Sort of we need to point out that uh, in terms of how it looks, uh, Timmy does look like a teenager. He looks like a Mm -hmm. boy and Army Hammer does look his 30 something years old. So Mm -hmm. there is the knowledge uh, within the summary of this movie that one of them is 17, one of them is 24. And then there is the visuals that are presented in the movie as well. And both of those things, I think, probably have a will have an impact on the people who are watching it and how they interpret the movie. And this is a age gaps in queer movies is a thing. I don't think there's any denying that Uh, Mm -hmm. age gaps in queer relationships are also a thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that on the one hand, you can say, well, age gaps in general in relationships happen. Showing them on screen is just showing something that happens in reality. So gay movies like Blue is the Warmest Color, Ammonite, Carol, et cetera, et cetera, have this as a trope. And uh, to such an extent that there are almost more lists of queer movies without age gap in like letterboxd and recommendations than there are with it seems like Mm -hmm. a lot of people are trying to escape from it but i think the reason why this movie in particular has that controversy element to it is the 17 year old element that one of them is like a minor Mm -hmm. and that although you i'm sure could argue that 
technically, legally, the age of consent, duh, 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 uh, and from what I understand, it was 14 at the time in 1983 in Italy, that a lot of these age gaps that we talk about in other movies are between adults who have an age gap that might be more than this, but they are two adults. And therefore, I think a lot of people would say that there are some differences between the relationship in like the favorite, for example, between Emma Stone's character and um, Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman. Yes. My God. Dear Lord. The memory <laughs> issue is really going. Cancel her now. Cancel me. Um, yeah. Between Olivia Coleman and Emma Stone, for example, uh, would probably be seen in a different way because of that. Because I think with age gaps, it's not just the arbitrary idea of like, those are just two numbers with numbers in between them. I think it is the idea of a difference in experience as well as age mm-hmm. that can heighten an age gap into uh, uh, an area that might feel predatory. And I think that that is especially interesting to discuss when we're talking about queer relationships in media because predatory stereotypes are such a huge part of mm-hmm. the kind of stereotypes around queer people, right? It's like, if you look at back with Section 28 or with Anita Bryant, the idea of like queer people are inherently predatory and dangerous to have around children and all this kind of stuff feels like it adds an extra layer of complication onto this kind of story. I would say that from my point of view within this film, uh, and I know that the book is from Elio's point of view, and I think the movie also gives the story to us from the point of view of this teenager. And so I can understand there being an element of like, the music is very romantic, for example, because we're in this character's point of view. And from his point of view, it's like the most romantic thing to happen. And it's this like clandestine relationship and he's it's because his burgeoning sexuality and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I also think that just because something is in a film or in a book, it doesn't mean it's being endorsed necessarily by the author or the writers or the director. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that all of the marketing and a lot of the framing around this movie does want to paint it as this big romantic journey for this character Mm -hmm. and this big relationship so that includes the music that includes the marketing that includes like the conversation with the understanding parent to kind of like lampshade the idea of like hey audience you might think this is the relationship's a bit dodgy but this parent his own parent says it's fine Mm -hmm. so actually i think you're fine it's fine so yeah i kind of came into this thinking trying to look at it with an open mind but kind of thinking like at the very most it's going to i'm going to just find it a bit icky but i have to admit when i was watching the movie i like actively was seeing stuff that looked like grooming to me or that had Mm -hmm. issues with consent on both sides and so for me it was like less of just the age gap as a general concept and more of specifically like a minor and an adult in a relationship in which it was very unhealthy but was being portrayed as this like sort of Romeo and Juliet like secret beautiful love like fleeting one summer you know Mm -hmm. vibe that I didn't necessarily uh didn't necessarily vibe with in that sort of way. I was seeing it more as like, oh, this is like everything this this character is doing is is clearly he is a child. Mm-hmm. And he's like cuddling with his parents and he's like shaving his non-existent mustache. And mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. like being really bratty. And then there's like this adult character who's very confident and very like self-assured. And, and it just felt very strange to me. I don't know how you felt about that element of the film, Jazza, but that was... Uh, 
we we sort of assign ourselves to listeners, I think we've mentioned this before, sort of elements of the context that we each want to dive into. And then the mm. other one kind of pr- we present it to each other in the moment. So I don't know how you felt about this, Jazza, from your perspective. Yeah, I remember this was the second time that I have watched this movie. And I remember the first time having a very similar reaction to the one that you just did. Mm. So I was a little bit fed up with the, like, yet another large age gap representation. One where uh, it was a, like, Chalamet's character is very codified as kind of like a young child, especially at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. With kind of like all of the things that he does, like his brattiness, as well as like the, like the, the shaving the moustache scene, I Mm -hmm. think is kind of like one of the, the clear things of like, this really cements his boyhood. The visuals as well, I will agree with you, of Hammer and Chalamet as I don't care what the marketing says, this is a romantic movie. Seeing those two as romantic leads, it is quite jarring with the way that they look because it looks like a fully grown man and a boy. Mm-hmm. That said, a lot of the a lot of the, the background work that I did on this on Call Me By Your Name span off of a really great video essay that Lola Sebastian did which i we will link in the show notes and i will encourage anybody who really really wants a thorough thoughtful nuanced deep dive into this movie and its context and the way that kind of like all of these especially the controversies intersect how the internet has talked about them i'd encourage you to go and watch that video essay she was really really good at articulating the way that this film seems very much to be and i think one of the intentions of it and you can see it in the way that a lot of the 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 artistic shots and the way that it's filmed and the the score as well how this is meant to be an idealized version of a memory that timothy timothy chalamet (laughs) that um chalamet's character is having i think when you read this as the memory that chalamet has of this romance that he had as he was growing up I think that that contextualizes what I think it is in in lots of different ways. I, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that it looks like grooming because I think that Hammer's character has a lot of vulnerabilities and uh, in many ways seems a lot less like even less experienced than Chal- than Chalamet's character in many in many ways his innocence. I don't think that that precludes grooming, right? Because there's a mm-hmm. load of stuff he does. Where it's like, this is, I think, I think as well, if you're going to argue that it is a rose tinted like version of the memory, mm. you can also say, hey, there are some behaviors that he's exhibiting where he's like yeah. getting him alone and taking him on special mm-hmm. trips that only they get to go on. And like mm-hmm. all of this kind of stuff that's like textbook grooming that then I could, I could just as easily, I, I see that being twisted to be like okay so all of those things where he's like no we shouldn't it would be too naughty of us are like Mm -hmm. seen by him as this like oh you know he was just he was looking out for me he 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 said we could wait until I was 16 like he said we would wait until I was 16 kind of Mm -hmm. energy that I think is a bit touchy I I would argue that the reading of it being his memory holds way more weight if they had kept the canon of the book which is that it is a memory Mm -hmm. The fact there's mm-hmm. no uh, like framing device used in the movie, 
I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable giving it that generosity of like... Sure, it's less obvious. Yeah. There's no point does he even have a narration at the beginning, like a lot, even a line of him being like, it was like so long ago, that hot summer in 1983. Like there's none mm -hmm. of that. So mm -hmm. I do think mm -hmm. it's from his Fair point enough. of view, but I wouldn't necessarily say that the that the movie feels like it's obviously from the point of view of someone grown up looking back because there's no framing device that suggests that to me. Mm -hmm. I do think I, I I do think that that is there in the way that it is shot and I do think that it's there. I do think it's there, but you, I, I will agree that it isn't obvious. Mm -mm. And I think that the the grooming stuff. Yeah, I think it, I think that there's no getting away from it. I think it is problematic. However, the second time that I watched this, and and I and like I said, I had a lot of the same kind of hangouts that you had. However, the second time watching this movie through, I ended up really identifying with Chalamet's character in a way that I never did the first time that I watched it, because I too was a teenage gay, and I too had um, relationships with older men, and. There's a lot of, like like you said, in real life queer relationships, larger age gaps are more common for a variety of reasons, not least because there's fewer of us, not least because very often we don't have the kind of guidance from elder figures in families or whatever that maybe we turn to those who are queer and older in our communities. And sometimes that forms relation romantic relationships. But I saw a lot of kind of like the emotions of Charlemagne's character like reflected in the experience experience that I had of kind of like that first kind of like almost fearful like do you dive into this that's the central question of it like do you uh, like do you act on these feelings that's the central question of the movie see I think that is the tricky thing about around the movie it's like there isn't you can't say that this is some unrealistic like weird thing that's been conjured from the mind of a of the director you know what I mean like yeah there is a lot of reality going on in here and mm -hmm. I think that it's the very fact that like both of us have a different interpretation of what's going on here. It isn't necessarily a film that I feel like has a particular thesis to it where they literally say what they want you to think about this relationship and whether it's good or bad or healthy or unhealthy or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think you can read into it and say, okay, well, this could be evidence of them saying that it's meant to be some kind of epic romance or this is an element of saying that it's unhealthy or whatever but I think for me it was just the experience of watching it was like oh this is just so ugh. like I just had like a very visceral reaction to it but in the mm -hmm. same way there will be people who will see themselves in these characters or like in this particular dynamic that will have an equally visceral reaction that's based on whatever emotions they have about their own experiences that run parallel to this as well. And I think that it's a, it's a, it's a, it is a nuanced story that, that, that we are allowed to have kind of like the, these different and kind of like complex emotions about. I do not think that it is necessarily a, a great romantic epic. I think in many ways, actually, this is more of a tragedy. Oh yeah. Than it is a romance. Oh, 100%. Especially with the way that it ends. But yeah, just so that we don't spend too much time talking um, about the age gap thing, I think this is a, a good point for me to bring in some of the, the other background. The other background that's, this. that's come about. Jazza, tell me what you were researching this week. <laughs> I read a really long Vanity Fair article about Army Hammer, um, whose name is Armand. Oh, Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. What a fun, what, what a nice way of you stalling what you're about to talk about, Jazza. Allegedly. Mm -hmm. And it is still a, allegedly, so... Uh, 
one of the big burdens that hangs around the neck of this movie uh, is the fact that uh, Army Hammer is one of the two leads in it. And Army Hammer was one of the people who all maybe had a, a bit of a, a consequential pandemic, shall we say. So Army Hammer, during the pandemic, there were lots of uh, allegations against him. Those have ended up, it's important to say, not being pursued in court. But then there were lots of leaked messages from uh, women who had dated Army Hammer, where it seemed that he was uh, at least role-playing, and there were alleged conversations uh, face-to-face that he had about this around cannibalism. Now, to be clear, the 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 kink of cannibalism does not mean that Army Hammer is a cannibal. <laughs> We're not saying Army Hammer's eaten anybody. <laughs> just to make it clear. But just to just to make it clear. So since the allegations of uh, sexual abuse and the revelations of his alleged kink around cannibalism. Uh, came out. Um, Army has had a rough couple of years and has been was dropped from his agency and dropped from a number of projects, even being uh, completely edited out of um, at least one of them at time of us recording. The the fact that Army Hammer plays the role of the older person in this big age gap relationship also makes it a very difficult watch, and I can understand why this makes it a very difficult watch. For many people, Army Hammer is also kind of like is somewhat of a problematic person anyway, based on the fact that he kind of like rode the wave of like pseudo feminism and from being from a rich family was then able to basically buy his way into Hollywood through all of these kind of like indie projects and stuff like that. So that is what I have been reading That's about. Such fun. Um, mm-hmm. I also think it's very important to note that since this. Timothy has been in a cannibal movie, which I think is just the wildest turn of events. Yeah, I hear just to spite Army Hammer. Just to spite Army Hammer. And it's really, Mm -hmm. so this is, I think, really interesting, like so irrelevant to this movie, but just as a thing that's been, obviously I feel like would be strange for us not to talk about this when it's such a huge part of like what has happened since around like the mythos of this movie is uh, the fact that like the sexual abuse allegations like the the cannibalism kink kind of was since used to sensationalize what were like actual serious allegations because as Jazza said listen if you like to do dirty talk about eating someone's toes then like all power to you like that's yeah, all yeah. fine as long as everything's consensual it's great I think it's that lack of the the consent issue that is the issue but also I I imagine that Timothy is probably quite relieved that The sequel isn't being made anymore. The the sequel isn't being made anymore. And I think a lot of people are kind of like, oh, no, this isn't a vibe. And so I think that it's something that is always kind of going to be attached to the legacy of this movie. And there is a part Mm -hmm. of me that that is like, actually, yeah, probably these allegations were even unconsciously in the back of my mind while watching it now. And I don't know if I would have had a different like visceral experience watching it before then or whether it would have been the same for me. And even even outside of this, there's one more thing that I think we should... Yeah, there's one more thing that I think that we should consider here. So the writer of the original book, Andre Asaman, is also become a somewhat controversial figure. He did an interview in a Air Cataluña, which is a Spanish publication, saying, and I quote a translation here, I see 12-year-old girls and I find them attractive, um, which understandably... Isn't good. 
<laughs> bad. Bad, uh. in fact, some might say. Um, and I think as well, like this is this is this is one of those things where it's like, okay, if we're gonna be talking about the idea of authorial intent and all that kind of stuff, like all of this stuff does get messy. And it is on one level that it is like an intellectual exercise of like, can you mm-hmm. separate the art from the artist? I think it's also a practical exercise of do you want to financially support someone who behaves in a certain way or or thinks certain things and then there's the emotional idea of like you're not necessarily logically thinking about it you just have a an emotional visceral reaction mm-hmm. whether negative or positive to certain stuff and i think those things are all very complicated and mixed together in a way that means that it's compl- it's complicated essentially yeah 100% and like you can approach this or at least try to approach this with like a death of the author thing. I think it is, I think with Call Me By Your Name, it is possible, for me anyway, it is possible to watch this without kind of like it then being something that ties with, ties back to that. I think it has artistic merit and artistic context without the stuff around Andrea Asimov and the stuff around Arnie Hammer tainting it. However, I think it is still important that you know that those are things that are swimming around in the primordial soup of what happened when society met this movie. Mm-hmm. And if you don't kind of like acknowledge those things and understand those things, that means that you don't understand the wider context of kind of like how this movie fits into our society properly. Yeah. Of course, you can you can you can enjoy the art separate from that. But then once that art is inter- intersecting with everything else, then there's, let's just say, background reading that you have to do. And yeah. there's quite a lot of it. And I think it's also very legitimate to be like, actually, nope. <laughs> That's oh, enough sure. for me. Um, and also, I, but, but, but like, for example, the fact of like, hey, you can have this source material, which is this book, and you can come at it from a the point of view of the gay director who directed this movie and be like, okay, yeah. I see something in this experience of my experience as a boy having experience like Elio did and I would like to reflect that very particular nuanced experience on film in a way that is since we're talking about the auteur genre I guess within this Mm -hmm. movie with an authorial intent that comes less from the original writer of the book and more from the like queer Mm -hmm. creator of the movie but again all of this is very complicated and I think that like this is one of the reasons why I think this movie is interesting to talk about because there there are so many ways to interpret it and so many external things and internal things within the movie that are I think for a lot of people aren't even necessarily logically explainable as to how they feel about it whether it's because of their own personal experience or their experience of of this in other movies that makes them either more used to it or more heightenedly aware of the potential problematic nature but having said that I guess shall we talk about the movie itself shall we actually do that now yeah let's go Hello friends, Jazza here for the ad read. As returning listeners will know, we are part of Multitude, a collective of creators who make stuff for your ears. As in audio, not like earmuffs or anything like that. This week, we want to give a shout out to one of our sibling shows, Games and Feelings. Games and Feelings is an advice podcast about games. Join question keeper Eric Silver and a revolving cast of guests as they answer your questions at the intersection of fun and humanity. Since, you know, you got to play games with other people. 
and we're talking every single type of game. Let's go. Video games of all stripes. Tabletop games, party games, laser tag, escape rooms, game streams, D&D podcasts, the companies and workers that make these games. Anything you can think of, really. Questions will include, how do you convince people who have only played Monopoly to play the new board game that you grabbed at the game shop? Is an escape room a good third date? And what makes video games cosy? And are there any recommendations? Eric and his friends answer any and all questions, as long as they're games related. If you like what you hear and want to level up your emotional intelligence stat, subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Friday. We are also continuing to be supported by Squarespace, who can help you to buy a domain and create a website. We have in the past talked about how we use Squarespace extensively as professional internet people for website creation, uh, giving us access to analytics so we know where everybody is clicking through from, and the creation of email campaigns so that we can, you know, bypass the algorithm to get to all of our followers and also we use it as a convenient way to be able to connect all of our social media in one place. We know that you hear a lot of your favorite creators, podcasts, medias offering their discount codes, but it would really help us out at the Queer Movie Podcast if you used ours and supported the Queer Movie Podcast. All you need to do to do that is go to squarespace.com slash queermovie, and when you're set up to make all your digital dreams come true, you can use the offer code Queer movie, that's all one word, to save 10 percentage points off your first purchase of a website or domain. Remember to go to squarespace.com slash queermovie. Now, back to the show. Okay, I actually have some titles for the parts for this one i will happily see to you this time around let's go because we have previously in the last few episodes it has just been jazza so part one i have named dance like no one is watching oh god why am i watching (laughs) which could also be the party in its aftermath um in fact again there's a few parties and their aftermaths in here which you know Long-time listeners of the show will know is a thing that all queer movies do have. Um, we start in the summer of 1983 and skinny boy Tommy is, you know, speaking French and being topless in northern Italy. Classic. Essentially, Timothy playing Elio is on holiday with his parents who are academics. I think his uh, father is an archaeologist slash digger-upper, dredger of old things, professor mm-hmm. man. Um, mm-hmm. And his uh, mum is a posh woman. And Yeah, just a, just a multilingual, a polyglot. Sometimes French, sometimes American. Who knows? Can speak German. Very talented family. Uh, And we see the kind of inciting incident is that Oliver, this guy who's going to be spending the summer with them, this academic, they seem to take in academics every year over the summer, comes in, exhausted, collapses on the bed of Elio's room because Elio's been moved next door. And um, essentially we find out that this guy is staying for the summer and Elio is uh, is a boy from a very talented family who also is very talented. He's a music boy and loves to, <laughs> loves to be an angsty teenager who plays music, except when his parents want him to. Exactly. Um, he's literally sitting there transcribing Bach, which I can't pretentious imagine. Pretentious little 17 year old. Pretentious little shit. Can you imagine being 17 and actually being like this? He's like the word precocious in the dictionary. You look at it's a picture of Elio. <laughs> So we end up getting to know Oliver a little bit. He wears a star of David and we seem to, well, we were explicitly told by Oliver when he talks about his family, how strict 
how much more strict his family are. Elio's family seem to be perfect, <laughs> right? Pretty much in every single They're way. In the way great. that they, the way that they kind of like encourage their son. They, uh, the way that they kind of like are accepting of the romance that he has over the summer. They seem like a really clutch, tight knit group who are very affectionate with one another. At the very beginning, Elio is almost repulsed by Oliver. And I think that this is the way that this is shown is not only by kind of like the brashness of his Americanness and how confident and outgoing he is and how terribly he dances. Mm-hmm. Uh, dance like nobody is watching. But it's also, and I loved noticing this theme of the second time that I watched it. I think that a lot of that disgust at the beginning, especially at the beginning, is is shown through food. Mm. So the way that Oliver downs all of the juice and like chugs it really, really quickly and he doesn't have any self control. Egg in such a gross way. He like crushes this hard, this soft boiled egg. He's such a um, strong so it man. Just kind of like, so it kind of like cascades everywhere, and all of the yolk goes everywhere, and it it's quite grotesque and we also hear oliver talk about how oh if i have another one then i just have another and another and i just can't help myself mm, and we see just that can't kind help of yourself like... huh oliver <laughs> and we kind interesting of... <laughs> way of phrasing that oliver and we he's just um... so american he's just so loud he's just constantly like and he says he calls he calls elio man all the time like mm. every time he talks to me he's like oh thanks man thanks thanks man yeah man and i'm like thanks child thanks boy big 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 red (laughs) um uh it's it's a big red flag for me actually i'm gonna derail this just for a second because i was talking to a guy on grinder um just last night and we were talking about our likes and dislikes okay we're talking about the politics of call me by your name uh and no 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 no. (laughs) we were talking about the highlights and lowlights of rena sawayama's latest album and after every single thing he was like yeah i think that this hell is really some of her best work, bro. And I'm like, <laughs> do not, bro me. do not bro me, especially when talking about a queer artist like so I are. Anyway, and this like grotesqueness is obviously something that uh, you could tie into the eventual really disgusting scene of him fucking the peach, mm-hmm. where it's like Just the so sticky. So, so sticky. Those sugar crystals are going to get everywhere. And he didn't even like wipe up. Anyway, we'll we'll get to that anyway. scene later. I think it's also very important to note here for anyone who is a member of the Patreon, not to plug the Patreon, but we do watch alongs of queer movies every month and we talk about queer movies a lot over there. And um, we have a list now. We've got like a, bi- I think someone's made a bingo card of like gay stuff in movies and bikes. Bikes are very gay, bikes everyone. Are gay. Bikes are mm-hmm. so gay. And I think this movie is like one of the top um, contenders for evidence for exhibit A, bikes are gay. Because all mm-hmm. they bloody do in this movie is bike around and fuck. Those are, I mean, I guess some other stuff happens, but mainly I feel like I could just put the bullet point, they bike around because bikes are gay and it would be like a, a, a solid half hour of this movie at least. So while they are biking around on their gay little bikes, a bunch of stuff happens. So, for example, they have this conversation about Judaism, about the idea that Elio's seen Oliver's necklace and comments about the idea of, like, besides my family, you're probably the only other Jew to set foot in this town, kind of creating this interesting sort of connection between them. We 
also get this conversation around like what does he do during the summer are we just like reads and writes and swims and apparently for a 17 year old that's a terrible summer can't relate and then we also have these interesting moments of contrast so like oliver takes elio to this bar where these older men are playing cards and Mm -hmm. elio like joins them at the table where he's like clearly the youngest one trying to like fit in. But he's kind of sat back, right? I think that this was another way of like framing him as a child. He brings the chair inwards, Mm -hmm. whereas the ver- it cuts to a scene with all of these other teenagers where he has pulled the chair away from the table and is like mm-hmm. sitting apart. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's contrasting the old men and the young teens. And then you realize that Oliver is with the teens, also playing with the teens. And I'm like, Oliver, please just d- stop. And then that's when Oliver gives him this massage. And I'm like, Oliver, please stop it. You're too stressed. Relax a little. Hey, isn't he too mm-hmm. stressed? Which is also the moment where he like shaves his non-existent mustache during this section and so it's basically just like a lot of interesting moments of like elio feeling like this summer is him becoming older Mm -hmm. that he is he's feeling separate from the immaturity of these like teenagers in his life as he feels like he's more in line with his parents generation these old men paying cars this new fascinating guy who he's starting to like a little bit more who's come into the picture who's willing to spend time with him and at this point, like he's still a little bit like, oh, I don't want to. Like he's grumpy about playing the piano with his dad. Like his parents are saying like, oh, you'll learn to like him as he's kind of making these little complaints about Oliver and how he doesn't really like him. Mm-hmm. And then Elio obviously caps off this section of soul searching and growth by having a little masturbate, having a little bait. <laughs> um, classic teen boy shit gets interrupted by Oliver who comes in without knocking very rude house guest but mm-hmm, that is mm-hmm. that is Oliver all over just smashing up eggs and knocking on doors yeah pissing really loudly with the door open mm-hmm. and slam yeah all of that kind of stuff and so we also have Oliver inviting Elio to come to come swimming with me Elio obviously brings music sheets with him because he's a little fucking nerd and oliver hilariously swims laps in a pool which is so tiny that which the is literally like one breaststroke and he's on the other side of the pool the, and he's the trying pool to is literally laps. about two and a half meters long so he like pushes off and is at the other end of the pool um, so funny. most pointless laps on the face of the planet and then we also get like basically it's just a lot of moments of them bonding in various ways and a lot of the time over like kind of intellectual stuff uh, like the music mm-hmm. uh you know oliver compliments him on playing the guitar elio immediately goes inside to play the piano and they have an argument about piano that i don't know enough about music to I, understand. Did not, I didn't understand this at all and i hated this scene because i thought they both come across as came across as absolute assholes classic mm-hmm. and then he elio writes in his little diary about who he's like dear diary yeah no, i don't I think like he this. likes me like i wake him so much i was too harsh with him mm-hmm. why did yeah mr oh, no. oliver elio mr oliver elio like over and over again um like the child that he is and then also at one point i've just written elio bullies a dying fish um which is this like an old man <laughs> I haven't even thought of this scene. Why the hell was this? <laughs> Elio, an old man comes to show Elio the fish that he's like clearly just caught and they're going to like cook that night. And Elio just like looks dead into this fish's eyes that's like gasping for water, I guess, and just mimics it. And I'm like, wow, Elio, that poor fish in its last moments just has some precocious teenager taking the piss. In everything that happened in this movie, and it's a long movie, I cannot believe that that is a thing that has stayed in your mind. I just, it was 
was just this poor, he was like, oh, you've caught the fish. And I was like, oh, no, it's a fish. And then it was just a close up on a dying fish. I was like, someone put that fish back in the water, stop. <laughs> um, and then we have the dance, the party that I named this part off after, which is just an awkward outdoor disco where Elio sort of hangs out with some of his fellow teens at, di at this different table because he's different and an old soul while watching Oliver kiss his childhood best friend. Yeah. Who again is also a teenager and mm -hmm. dances like a dad. I put here, Oliver dances like a dad, Elio smokes like a dad. And then clearly he's so affected by this that he's like, you know what I'm going to do? Fuck a girl. Uh, and so he goes swimming with Marzi, I think her name is. Marzia. Marzia. And the next morning is like, dad, I almost had sex. And then his dad's like, why didn't you, cuck? And then Oliver's like, yeah, try again later, loser. Verbatim. Um, <laughs> and he then he does. That's 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 uh, so, exactly a quote quotes from the movie. <laughs> you cuck. Um, that I ha I have great umbrage with uh, this sex scene, especially with Marzia. Not only um, does poor Marzia deserve better, and she uh, she needs to get the fuck over um, Elio. Come on, girl. Uh, but also, they're fucking on a very dirty, very dusty mattress in an attic somewhere. He Somewh loves that boy. Loves to do it outside or in a building where you can see the sky. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, surrounded by uh, dust and microbes that are probably going to give you a venereal disease. So Not good. Good luck. And it's the eighties. The penicillin didn't exist then, so they're all fucked. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh yeah of course the 1980s <laughs> that's just science um <laughs> so basically to sum up i don't know how i'm explaining this in such a long-winded way because basically all that happens is that they bike around and then they fuck but they go on an archaeology trip and they call each other by each other's names that's the title of the movie um <laughs> they haven't even they haven't you're just skipping over no this. when they're swimming this is yeah. before they no this isn't the sexy bit this is oh. when they in the water when they're swimming and you hear them shouting each other's names oh i didn't even realize and i was like yeah they were getting to the part of the movie basically mm -hmm. at this point elio is extremely sexually frustrated puts oliver's shorts on his head gets on all fours on the bed i'm like please stop sir but only does it for about two seconds i'm like commit to the bit and uh and then it's act two and essentially more of the same <laughs> What is your act two called, Rowan? Call Me By Your Name, that's the title of the movie. <laughs> oh, I called this fucking people in fruits. Yes, that's also true. Mm -hmm. This is where the World War memorial thing came in, which I think you had some notes on. Yeah, so the, the tension of this scene I really, really enjoy because it's earlier on in the film, we've heard Elio's mother, the polyglot, who we're not really sure what she does, Live translates a uh, uh, book about a uh, knight and a princess and how the knight is terrified to say anything with the princess that he's in love with. Like, do you say something or do you die? That This clearly sits with Elio because he's building up all of these emotions, as we've seen with all of the doodling, with all of kind of like the, the storytelling of the movie, with the, the subtlety and, uh, well, the subtlety of him putting... Um, army hammers pants over his head very subtle um, yeah very subtle and so he ends up deciding to do something about it and i love the building of the tension the amount of silence that fills the space of these scenes i think is really fantastically well done uh, so they're there 
watching, looking at this war memorial from World War One. And he says to, to Oliver, uh, there are some things I don't know stuff about. Oliver says, like what? And just with the words, oh, you know what? We all know they're talking about sexy fun bum time. Uh, and mm-hmm. so... Direct quote from the movie. <laughs> direct quote from the movie. So they end up, uh, like this, this tension builds. Oliver says, we can't speak of such things, blah, 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 blah. Elio then takes... Oliver to his secret spot which mm. of, of if you and then he takes Oliver to his secret spot if you know what I mean <laughs> you are fucking chaotic today Rowan <laughs> listen <laughs> you should have known when you made me watch this bloody movie that I was gonna come to you with this nonsense um so they uh roll around on the grass a little bit it's not quite wrestling which um uh, so it's I don't another think you can classic trope yeah, I don't think you can quite mark this off on your bingo card. Um, but they end up making out and Oliver reinforces this thing of, I want to be good. I don't want to be bad. We haven't done anything naughty yet. Hee 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 hee. And then... Elio's nose starts bleeding at dinner from the stress of dealing with heterosexual bickering is what I've put in my notes. <laughs> uh, and so again, like this is another moment where Oliver goes to check on him, rubs his feet, kisses them. Elio's mom is like, do you like Oliver? And Elio's like, um... What did he tell you? Did he tell you that I liked him? And she notices that he's wearing a Star of David. And it's like, ooh, I think the parents might be figuring it out. I wonder what's going to happen. Spoiler Mm -hmm. alert, this isn't the like third act. Don't, you can't see him. But daddy, I love him. Like that's not the, what the drama is going to be. I was watching Nerdwriter do uh, his video about this. And there is- Actual research, Jazza John over here. (laughs) And there was really great- commentary on the fact that you're always and i was also thinking this there was this building tension of when are they going to be found out so there's they mention the housekeeper is really diligent she might notice and there's the worry that like especially the parents we keep on getting seeded that they're noticing stuff um Mm -hmm. with like slight glances and looks and we like i have an underlying like tension and uneasiness when you see this because i expect there to be the low point in the just before the third act to be they get found out and then mm. there are consequences to that. The difference is, I wish there had been, uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, okay, right, but I, but, but there was, yeah, we get it. Um, <laughs> uh, there's part of me that really likes the fact that that never happens in a scenario like this, mm-hmm. in a queer story that there isn't. It, it, like it's not like they're pretending that they're in a world where homophobia doesn't exist, especially in 1980s Italy. Yeah. And they are having to be kind of like clandestine about it. But that is never a fear that kind of like comes to fruition. The fear is them not being together and they manage mm-hmm. to avoid that by acting on it. Only just. Only, only just. So they are, they end up being together for kind of like a couple of weeks and they're lamenting, oh my God, how annoying that we didn't roll around naked earlier. Mm-hmm. And eventually, this is where I have the beginning of the third act, where the parents end up suggesting that they go on holiday together, essentially. Yeah. I mean, we haven't mentioned, but this is also the section where he fucks a peach. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, how did you engage with the peach? Fucking? I was just like... Get some wet wipes, at least. Also, don't like leave it on your bedside table. You take a nap. 
Yeah, it is kind of disgusting. Um, but there's also lots of people who have done loads of disgusting things in the pursuit of self-pleasure. Of course they have. And I actually quite like, despite the fact that everybody... The reason that people went to see this movie is because of the fucking peach scene. Mm-hmm. And it was sensationalised and, and everybody found it funny. But the movie takes it deadly seriously. Oh, it's so serious. He goes on such a face journey. Timmy goes on such a fucking face journey during the scene <laughs> where it occurs to him he could fuck a peach. And then he's like, I'm, a f- I'm fucking this I'm peach. Fuck peach. <laughs> it's very American pie with the American pie. Right? And so, yeah, I just... Okay, so this whole second act, I will say... I, Again, we get it, Rowan. You had some thoughts about it. But <laughs> but it was really, it was almost frustrating to me because I wasn't, there were so many lines from Oliver where it's unclear if he's talking about his own internalized homophobia or whether he is aware of the fact he's about to fuck a 17 year old. Because mm-hmm. it's a lot of like, I don't want to mess you up. I want you to be sure. Like mm-hmm. he seems really excited about like Elio's short teenage boy refractory period. I don't want you to regret anything. And I, it's frustrating because I'm like, I almost wish that some of these lines and this like attitude had been within a movie without that age gap where it had been a character who was... A peer, well, if they were peers. If they like, were peers I, and one of them was out already... If it were a 17 and a 19-year-old or, or if, if it, it yeah, were two it was people like, in there. Yeah. I kind of wish that we'd had... Because some, some of the emotions like felt really interesting if it had been about queerness, but I was always so aware of the fact it could just be an adult being like... I don't know, you're so mature, but I don't want to do anything that's going to get us in trouble. And Elliot's mm-hmm. like, I won't tell anyone. Like, And so I kind of wish that we'd had like that same energy of like having a peers who are in different stages in their queerness, having that kind of emotional yeah. conversations would have been interesting to me. A lot of the criticism of the movie I have seen that I think is somewhat misguided has been, why didn't they just make Elio 18? And I I think that there are still so many of the same problems, even if you just bump Elio up a year. What I think actually would fix this movie is making... I'm available. Um, <laughs> is is making Oliver younger, making Oliver mm. an undergrad, making him yeah. like 19 or something along those lines, which would still work with the story. It would still mm-hmm. make sense. Like um, a first year undergrad applies for a research. Yeah, summer research position, position. Summer research program. Yeah, whatever. And then because I think Oliver's character in the movie is battling a lot of the same things that Elio is. And in many ways, because of his more conservative background, is having those those battles in a much more intense way mm-hmm. that I think would feel more sympathetic if he were... Yeah. If there weren't kind of like this huge power imbalance that they have that is mm-hmm. glaring about it. Um, and so... If we can go through and do kind of like some reshoots, because Timothy looks exactly the same age, yeah. and maybe we're getting another character completely right out Army Hammer of the movie. Here I we think go. that we can, Easy breezy. we can we can do it. Yeah, done. Bish bash bosh. What did you call Act Three? I called Act Three. Th- this was my party in its aftermath, and mm. I called it a party in its aftermath. Only because of that dancing that they did in the street, and then Elio throws up. That's fair. Because that's, that's my fair. idea of a good party. Yeah. My mm-hmm. my uh, part three was, bitch, they knew each other for like three weeks. <laughs> I mean, you can sum up this entire thing. This is a very top heavy episode, I think, for everyone. Like we did a lot of context and a lot of build up. But essentially, they go on holiday together. Yeah. They fuck, they get drunk in the street, they dance, everything's great. 
And then mm. Oliver's like, bye. And then Oliver, well, because the has summer's to come to an end. I have to go. And Elio's at the train mm-hmm. station, like, Mum, please and then, come and uh, pick me uh, up. <laughs> Elio calls up his mum to go, Mummy, can you come and pick me Mummy, up? Come pick me up from the station. I'm here. And then Elio goes right back to Marcy uh, and is like, and she's like, I'm not mad at you for fucking that man. Let's stay friends for life. And he's like, for mm-hmm. life, babe. And then Elio's dad and him have a an interesting conversation where it's like implied that maybe his dad had a similar romance that he didn't quite I mean, go he pretty, for. He, he says it pretty explicitly, I feel like. You had a beautiful no? friendship, maybe more than a friendship, like all of this vibes. What you had was rare and special, to which is when I was like, bitch, they knew each other for three weeks. Calm down. But it's like, you're such, you're such a cold anti-romantic. I know, yeah. right? <laughs> Um, not One even, of these days I'll find not, a romance that satisfies me. I'm not aromantic, I'm anti-romantic. <laughs> <laughs> Evil. Oh um, but I I really love this monologue. Um, and I think about the, I can't remember the exactness of the line, but I think about that it's better to have, it's, the, it's better to have loved than lost than never to have loved yeah. at all. And the importance of feeling those emotions. I also yeah. really appreciated the scene. I thought it was really beautifully scripted. I think it's Soft Dad, we yeah, stand. Soft Dad, we stand. Mm-hmm. Um, where he's essentially just like, hey, you need to feel these feelings. And mm-hmm. because what I don't want to happen is that you go into these into future relationships with this still being feeling like heavy baggage to you and feeling like it's gonna affect your life going forwards in a negative way because you haven't actually allowed yourself to feel every part of it and come Mm -hmm. to terms with it which i felt like was very you know a nice thing to say and then also there's the exchange of does mum know i don't think she does and i'm like (laughs) yeah mum knows fucking everything that mum knows everything about both of you idiots yeah of course she fools um she sees everything and will live translate everything and then the end of the movie it's winter now happy hanukkah everyone happy Um, hanukkah and what could be a better hanukkah gift than Oliver calling the family to to tell them that he's getting married to a woman that he was on and off seeing during the summer when he was with Elio. Great. The end of the movie. And Elio sits end down and movie. cries into a fire. That's, yeah, that is literally the end of the film. And the credits are over Timmy doing a good bit of face acting again. This mm-hmm. time, not about whether he wants to fuck a peach, but whether, you know, his, his, he's experiencing that happiness and sadness his dad told him to experience looking into the fire. So you mocked the face acting, but he did get an Academy Award No, I'm not mocking the face acting. Off the back of he did very good face acting. I'm <laughs> not, I would, I would never mock him for it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just pointing out that he did it twice. And I would say the second time has slightly more emotional weight to it. Mm-hmm. And that was... Call me by your name. Jazza. Absolutely not. I will not play this game with you. Jazza. Rowan. Um, we are now at the part of the podcast where we give our very gay ratings. So we like to give each of the movies that we rate a number of the coloured bars of the six-barred rainbow flag. They are red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, blue for harmony, and purple for spirit. Rowan, what bars and how many are you giving? I'm sorry, Jazz. It's getting one. Um, for <laughs> I the you. boredom a... and the ickiness. And I'm going to say it gets yellow for sun because it was in Italy during the summer. 
<laughs> it was basically a uh, tourism advert for Northern Italy, to be fair. It really was. I want to go to all of those places. I did my, write in my notes, like, question mark, find out if the house from Call Me By Your Name is an Airbnb now. Like, <laughs> can we go there? When I was probably meant to be focusing on whatever was going on on screen. Um, Jessa, yeah, how about nice. you? How many bars and which colours? Yeah, fuck you. I'm giving it five. Um, of course you fucking are. So I'm giving it um, uh, uh, life slash sex red. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it the healing because mm. of, which is orange because of the healing at the end that happens at the end. The then I'm going to give it the sunlight because it's an an advert for Northern Italy and Classic. I love Lake Garda. Um, and I want to have my honeymoon there. Nature, obviously. I can't believe that you missed that off. So I'm giving it the green and then I'm going to give peach. it um, <laughs> and also he fucks. A plant. Um, and then I'm going to give it a purple for spirit. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'll allow it. Because I needed to give it one. No, not it's not a huge amount. Yeah, you had, had to give it another one. Not yeah. very harmonious. I would be fascinated to hear what other people... I always wonder what listeners think about the films that we watch. But for this one especially, I'm I'm extra interested. Considering I think this is the most divisive in terms of our final ratings that a film has been i think this is the most divergent from one yeah and um, so been. i'd love to hear whether people agree with me or are wrong so thank you very much for listening to this episode of the podcast and all that the chaos it has been if you enjoy these episodes please consider supporting us on the patreon that i mentioned earlier um as a patron you get to join our queer movie club where we watch queer movies every month on our discord which you will also get access to and then at higher levels we've got exciting things like movie recommendations monthly newsletters with lots of gay stuff that we've found uh, on the internet during the month so check it out because it allows us to pay julia our editor and then maybe eventually ourselves that would be nice wouldn't it um thank you once again to jennifer and toby for supporting us on the highest tier that we have on patreon like it's pinch self oh it's real makes us feel nice thank you very much and then you also make sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you're notified of our next episode wherever you listen to your podcasts we have been jazz john and rowan ellis we are edited by julia shafini and a part of multitude find more of that amazing stuff at multitude.productions toodaloo thanks thanks